Well, hello there. I have a really special episode for you today. You know, I say this a lot on this podcast, how important it is to get new perspectives, learning about things from different angles. Well, one of the things I wanted to do was to bring in the perspectives of people living with someone experiencing a smell dysfunction. Maybe you've listened to some of the past episodes where I've talked with people who actually are congenital anosmic, where they've never known smells, or they're acquired anosmics, where they lost their sense of smell, or even parosmics, where smells are distorted to them. Well, in this episode, I wanted to widen the circle and learn from those who are able to smell normally, but live with someone who can't. So in the anosmia community, these people are often called designated noses because they serve the role of being a nose for those who can't use their noses like you and I are able to. So I contacted three people, each one living with a person who's experiencing a different smell dysfunction. I wanted to get a wide range of perspectives because as you'll learn, some things are the same, but a lot is very different. My guests today are Mark Wiegers, who lives with his partner, Dia, who has congenital anosmia, Kiki Paupatsis, who lives with her daughter, Thelma, who has acquired anosmia, and Mark Winnington, who lives with his fiancée, Anne Louise, who has parosmia. We talk about what it was like at the beginning, how they manage day-to-day in supporting their partner and child, what roles and responsibilities they have, and most importantly, what advice they can offer to others who might also be a designated nose. So whether you yourself are experiencing a smell dysfunction, or you're a designated nose, or maybe you're friends with someone who has anosmia or parosmia, or you don't know anyone, but you just want to learn and gain some understanding. Whatever the reason you're here with me right now, I want to thank you for listening, because this is an important conversation that I know can help a lot of people. So let's get started. Enjoy my conversation with Mark, Kiki, and Mark the designated noses. This is An Aromatic Life, the podcast that aims to shed light on our beautiful sense of smell and increase its profile in a culture dominated by sight and sound. My name is Frau Kagalia. I'm a certified aromatherapist and smell coach who spent over 20 years in and around the fragrance industry. What I know for sure after all these years is that our sense of smell is powerful yet is so underappreciated. There's so much we can do to harness our sense of smell to be well. So join me as I explore this mesmerizing sense from all different angles and learn what it can do for you. Enjoy the show. Hello, I want to welcome you guys to an aromatic life. Mark, Kiki, and Mark, one of whom I'm going to be calling Marky from now on. So... (laughs) get into that in a minute, but uh, I want to welcome you all. Thank you so much for being here today. It means a lot to me. I think it's going to mean a lot to people who are suffering from smell dysfunctions to know that there are some tools and and tricks and, and things that we as smelling people can do to support people living with different kinds of smell dysfunction. I thought we could start by going around the uh, proverbial room here, (laughs) the Zoom room, and maybe each of you can kind of just briefly introduce yourselves um, and let us know who you're a designated nose for and what smell dysfunction they have, okay? So I'm going to start with um, Marky, if you could start. 
Well, hello, Franca and Kiki and Mark. Uh, we'll go by Marky. I live in Denver, Colorado. Mark Wiegers is my full name. I am Dia Klein's designated sniffing dog. And <laughs> Dia has congenital anosmia. So that means she has never smelled anything in her life. And I'm a, her part-time uh, roommate or partner because I live in Denver and she lives in Niwot. So I'm in her studio right now. And I got Colorado. Okay, great. And Kiki? Hi, my name is Cristalo Pupazzi, but I've been called Kiki, which I enjoy. I feel very acquainted. And I live in Lanaka, Cyprus. I'm a designated nurse for my daughter, Thelma, who has anosmia. Uh, she was born with a sense of smell. And uh, I'm very proud to be her mother right now because I feel um, she was chosen for a reason, for a cause to, um, I'll let you know later how I learned that she acquired anosmia. Okay, wonderful, yes. Mm -hmm. And Mark. My name is Mark. And um, I currently live in London with my designated nose, who is my fiance, and Louise Dutel. And uh, I guess we'll get into a little bit more detail about it, but she lost her sense of smell um, just over a year ago in 2020, late 2020. And uh, she's been fighting to get it back ever since. And she's living with parosmia now, right? Yeah. At the minute, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So as designated noses and this podcast being called An Aromatic Life, one of the first things I always ask my guests is kind of what does the sense of smell mean to them? Whether you have a sense of smell or not, you know, what relationship do you have with the sense of smell? So I'm curious, and I'll start with um, Marky again, you know, tell me what does the sense of smell mean to you? Well, I have to say that it's re been redefined since I've met Dia Klein. Uh, we met online and we met through correspondence. I was traveling, living in Germany or visiting Germany. And one of the first <clears throat> things she said is, I can't smell. I have anosmia. I didn't even know what that meant. I never even thought of that as a disability. I think of it as a disability. I just want to say that. I don't want to compare one to the other. I think it's a disability. Mm -hmm. It took me a while to remember in the beginning that she had this disability and I could not even spell it. So I did not really think about smell until I met somebody that did not have smell. And I dismissed it, unfortunately, because I think the first question I associated smell with is taste. Oh. And I didn't ask her, what's it like to not smell? I asked, can you taste everything? And she's, you know, she can taste some things. She likes to compare taste to we get a hundred crayons in the crayon box or the cheap one gets, gives you 16. She got the cheap one. So she can smell. And I think what's interesting is it started to open up my awareness of not being able to smell. And I'm just gonna add that my mom is blind. So I live with another person who has a disability but my mom could see in her life and so when I describe something to her 
we can go back to some memories she may have of like, what does that person look like? And I'll compare to a relative. Okay. I can't, I can't do that with Dia. So I'm glad that you're bringing awareness in a, a whole different language for us to speak about this, Frauka, where you're, the way I understand you're creating like almost a lexicon and yes. descriptors so we can better communicate. So I'm take, I don't want to take up all the time. I could go on for hours, but one of the things I've had to learn is to listen. So I need these ears to hear what she says. And what I recognize, I never thought about it. When we look at a person front and center is we see the nose and we don't really even think about that. That gives us pleasure or displeasure, the pleasure of smelling a flower versus the displeasure of smelling that we st stepped in the dog crap, right? So it's part of our survival mechanism. And I just read prior to this that our smell, I did not know this, but we can pick up over a trillion smells. Yeah. I look up at the sky and I see maybe a thousand stars. I don't know what a trillion even means. So we have this brilliant smoke detector on our, no on our face. And we don't think about that. It helps us to attract a mate or push somebody away. But um, all of this stuff kind of has infilled and it does every day when I think about what it's like to not smell. I unfortunately have taken it for granted mm -hmm. and now I don't. And I really appreciate hearing people's stories and struggles and challenges. And I think these are brave people, courageous people, and there's a poetry to it. They help me to discover things I take for granted. So well said. I, I completely agree with you, Mark. Marky. <laughs> so distinguished, Mark. Um, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Um, Kiki, tell me, what does the sense of smell mean to you? Okay. Uh, after what Marky has said, uh, it's completely, I'm fascinated. But for me, the sense of smell, pleasant and unpleasant, is who I am. The smell of rain, grass, flowers, perfume, the, everything influences my mood. So, and indeed nasty smells also are very horrific for me. I've always been like a kind of person that would go, oh yikes, this is terrible, this doesn't smell nice. And uh, beautiful aromas, they enhance my appetite. And well, right now, I'm exactly, and I've always been the opposite of what Tema is right now. Mm. Uh, very sensitive to pleasant and unpleasant smells. Whereas Tema, she, uh, she knew before how to smell, and now she, she doesn't. Yeah. She couldn't. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. thank you so much. How about you, Mark? What does the sense of smell mean to you? It's an interesting question because it's now been a year and a half <clears throat> where I've been thinking about the sense of smell more than I've ever thought about it in my life and the sense of taste. I mean, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. they're kind of linked. Um, but um, what what I find quite interesting, Anna Louise lost her smell and she began to feel like it was going to be there for an indefinite amount of time, which became, began to feel hopeless. And... Um, I think in that moment she described the feeling of uh, like of life having a lot less color in it. Now I know color is associated with sight and, um, and and you know blindness and all that there, but I think it was more like an in-depth feeling. She, like a lot of things that she enjoyed 
were, were removed and she kind of kind of portrays that as a, you know, this life itself kind of got a little bit sad and as the time went on you know exploring you know walking down the street or going anywhere with her eating food eating dinners and stuff like that there I became obviously a lot more sympathetic and empathetic towards somebody in that situation but I find it interesting to this day when we explain to our friends when they haven't had any loss of taste and smell in the not so distant past, sometimes they 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 chuckle or they they're not really sympathetic towards that feeling, and it's only until they a lot of my friends and people I know have had COVID and they've come to me and said, oh. You know, I lost my sense smell for uh, two weeks or whatever, and I can't imagine what it's like for more than a year. You know, that's it's horrible. And it wasn't really until people kind of felt it that they were able to really empathize with that sort of um, scenario. But uh, the difference is somebody who lives with somebody, you can really, really kind of, you know, you suffer with them and you, you know, it's just not, it's not, a, it's not, a, it's a very underrated thing, your sense of taste and smell. I think much more underrated than, than what people are really aware of. And, and we have five senses, and I think what people people tend to rank them, and of course, sight is very important to us. Um, you know, and, and a lot of people I think would 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 consider that sense to be the the, the most. But I think taste and smell um, are senses that you definitely don't want to disregard. They are they're very important to your whole well You know, so, to me, it's uh, it's become a very important and quite significant topic in my life. <laughs> The yeah. Last while, so. yeah, yeah, it's that's that's really helpful, Mark. Tell me while I've got you um, talking about it. Did you think much about your sense of smell before all of this happened? Like growing up, and you know, you was that a big part of like were you smelling your environment consciously or thinking about your food having a lot of flavor and you know all the things that you now think about more? Consciously, no. No. Consciously, no. Uh, honestly, I don't think I've consciously ever really appreciated it. You know, it's just something that you're kind of given and you don't really learn to to know what it's like if you've never had it or you might possibly never have it. Um, I think it's something for sure I've been taking for granted for quite some time. And um, I never, you know, I, I never got involved in any wine tasting or smelling or food smelling or anything. I, I never did any kind of games I do a lot of this stuff now where we train you know with Anna Louise together okay. and I never sit down and think that's a lemon or that's an orange or that's a flower or that's you know we do all these essential oil trainings and yeah I never thought about it really until now okay. and it's only really when you consciously think about it you begin to really appreciate it actually there's a lot yeah. to explore there you know but um but yeah no. and you notice things more too mm -hmm. the more you you put your attention on smell, but suddenly things smell more <laughs> around you, right? Mm -hmm. yes. It's just a normal thing. Marky, you're shaking your head. Tell me. Well, I'm agreeing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I totally think that by meeting an anosmic or talking to any of you people, it makes me much more aware. And I just wanted to talk about like smell as survival. And I just remembered this when I was a teenager, I had a summer job working in a dairy that made ice cream. Uh, I didn't like the taste of ice cream back then, but I went back to a, a memory where I walked into the deep freeze cooler, a huge room, and there was the smell of ammonia. And my nose put me into flight like pattern. I got the hell out of there. And I don't know if that would have happened 
if I couldn't have smelled. And I don't know if I would have uh, survived that. I don't know if my eyes teared up. I don't remember, but I remember my nose kept me safe. Get me out of there. And I guess I've always taken that for granted. And unfortunately, I think we think of smell, we think of the negatives, but as Kiki said, and I, I find this now, and Mark said it, I'm appreciating so much more because I have this gift of smell. And the bad smells are just a warning. You can't see ammonia gas, or you, you don't usually see the fire or feel the heat. You smell it and you get the hell out. So I have a very heightened awareness now, I think because of being a designated smeller, I have to kind of be more on alert for my partner and for myself and for my blind mom, because she, you know, it's the whole thing about blindness and I don't want to dissect into different disability, but um, you know, our smell really is part of our survival. And I think we don't really realize that until we lose it or as Mark's uh, fiance or, or Anne is her name. She, she doesn't know what smell is. Both of, both of the young women don't know what that is. But anyway, I, I recognize it as pleasure and as part of my, our, our survival. So I appreciate it. That's wonderful. Kiki, do you have anything you want to add as far as, you know, how you, you've connected to your sense of smell in your early life and in your past? Was it always, were you very, very, very connected to it? Very connected and in my house, in my home, uh, we have no smoking rules. It's always been the case. I've always been very connected and memories as well. I remember my granny, uh, she always smelled um, of like a rose because in Cyprus they have this um, rose water, which they make. And I think she always used it to wash herself. So even my memories are associated um, with smell. Everything with me is about smell, good and bad. Mm. Yes, thank you for sharing. All right, so I want to get into, because we can get into a lot of topics, right? So I want to get into kind of the first moments of for each of you, it's different, of course, but what was the moment like when you first knew that your partner or child was having difficulties with smelling or in the case of for you, Marky, when you met Dia and like you, you touched on it a little bit, but I don't know if you have any more to add, you know, like um, how did you act around them? Did you know what to do? How did it affect your relationship between the two of you when, when the first real cognizant interaction, you know, related to the smell dif- dysfunction came to light? Okay. That's a great question, Frauke. Um, You may not like the answer. <laughs> no. <laughs> and like I said, I forgot. You know how I remembered she has anosmia in the morning when you wake up and you can actually kiss your partner and it, you've got morning breath. And I'm like, I don't have to worry about that. That was kind of a positive for me. <laughs> it doesn't have morning breath. I do sometimes, but that's kind of like, I don't, I think of our self self-awareness because of smells. They can make us very insecure. I, I think women might have a heightened sense of smell because when I think of women, I think of smell. Mm. Uh, so in the beginning, 
I had to just constantly remind myself she can't smell. So I, if I give her flowers and put her to her nose, she's going to go like, what? I'm like, all right. Yeah. The, 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 the awareness I had is that, yeah, going back to what I said earlier, I never really thought about it. So um, I would say that that was probably the hard part. And Dia is very proud of her anosmia. She doesn't let it get her down. And you know how they say, if you lose one sense, you gain another sense. I don't quite agree with that, but I'll say I've gained a better sense of snip smell because she's lost hers because I'm more aware. And in a weird, strange way, I think since she's never smelled, she's not insecure about smells. And sometimes I have to warn her like, hey, go take a shower or whatever. <laughs> um, but she appreciates that probably. She's fine with that, well, right? Usually, but not if she's in a hurry and she's got to like run to an interview and they're, I'm like, you go shower. I, I don't have time. But no, she treats it as almost a badge of courage. Okay. But she's, she doesn't, she's never had to contend with the sense of loss. She never had it. That's right. Whereas your other designated smellers, their partners, their daughter, uh, they've lost something. <clears throat> it's been taken away from them. So uh, they they can maybe try to get them to remember what a smell was like before the condition. I I can't do that with Dia. And I'll just use the example of like coffee. She can taste coffee, but I think the smell of coffee is so complex. It's almost better than the taste and experience of drinking right. the coffee. brewing of the coffee. The, yeah, the I whole, can't. Yeah. I don't know how to explain what that would smell like. And right. you know, again, I'll just say it's. I think it's great that you're giving us descriptors for that so we can help so they can better understand and we can help explain that so kiki tell me how when you i guess tell me the moment when you discovered that your daughter thelma lost her sense of smell and then how how did you kind of how did that whole dynamic change once you, once that happened yes well, the moment that I learned Sam, I could not smell was shocking and very overwhelming for me because she was studying in the UK and she came to Cyprus to, for Christmas vacation. And then uh, one day I had prepared lunch and I left the food on low heat because I was uh, expecting my husband to come home for lunch. And uh, he called to say he was running late. Unfortunately, I forgot the food on low heat and went to rest. And then uh, when I woke up, I opened the bedroom door and I was very horrified to witness smoke all over the house and the most awful smell throughout the house. It was a disaster. Mm. But little did I know that this horrible situation was nothing compared to what Selma was going to face. She could not smell anything, not even the smoke. So it was very tragic. And um, it was a big challenge because she had to leave for, for school, for her right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, for her education. And we took them to an ear, nose, and throat specialist. And uh, that was um, the path and that. It was shocking. It was a big shock because like Marky uh, says, for me, everything's about smell and uh, the ritual, the pleasure of um, 
smelling coffee, making coffee, and yeah, having my daughter uh, who, who couldn't smell. And not only she couldn't smell, uh, we weren't sure when it happened. Um, Thema was always either dancing, uh, creative, an artist, photography, and um, doing a lot of charity work. So, so throughout her education, she was always on the go. And now I wasn't quite sure what happened, when it happened, why it happened. Mm. Oh, wow. Thank was you. It difficult. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Mark? How was it for you when, when Anne first started saying, wait, I don't think I can smell anything, <laughs> mm. you know? I think uh, her story might be, might be, I don't know, maybe a little bit more common in the not so distant past because I don't know how much people know about how COVID affects, you know, taste and smell, but, um, but yeah, we all, uh, I mean, I think it's been proven that it does. It's obviously one of the main symptoms, you know, when you go to get your tests and so on like that there. So, um, but I think we, we knew from that, that, you know, we're just like many other people who are at that time in 2020 with vaccines and that was still quite strong and we were having a lot of neurological problems from COVID. I, I was getting a lot of them. I brought it unfortunately home to her oh. um, and you know it affected us in a very kind of in a way that wasn't really physical like at least us it just affected our brain like I was extremely tired and you know I, I couldn't concentrate and then she had the same symptoms and I couldn't smell mustard just went away like mustard is one of those things that really hits you here and that's yeah. how I know that I, I've never felt like this I've had colds colds are blocked nose you feel physically bunged up that's not the same this is just uh, my nose gone. is clear but I can't smell it's yeah. gone yeah yeah it's like almost like your nerve endings have been gone attacked and I, I think actually that's that's quite close to what was actually kind of happening, you know, and there's like depths of nerves and so on. But I think with hers, the same symptoms, it went away very quickly, actually. She was um, talking to me at the time outside and she was like, oh, my smell's going. And um, and it went and it was gone, it never came back. And, um, uh, but the thing is mine recovered after two weeks and then hers didn't. And it just stayed like that. And this is in October, 2020. And we got to um, January, uh, we're, sorry, we're coming to the end of the year. And the doctors were like, yes, you know, a lot of people are suffering from smell and taste, but it should come back. And they were prescribing things like steroids and stuff like this here. But things were, we, we didn't, we hadn't done any research at this point to, to understand what was going on. We just expected it to kind of get better. But when it got into the new year, things weren't getting better. And she was still a nosemic in January. It was four, it was three months of just like what's going on here you know and this isn't this doesn't sound this doesn't feel good and um she was obviously starting to feel a little bit sad because she hadn't smelled or tasted anything in three months and you know gone that was 32 years smelling and tasting something now three months of that it was and without any real understanding of it was going to get better and then i think with um from the research that we done we, we started the research a little bit which we'll talk about maybe a little bit more detail later but about how to deal with it and what was happening um she we didn't do that until she went into her perosmic stage and um that was when it really affected her and us um it wasn't like a it wasn't yeah it just it took it to a whole new level it was yeah. it wasn't there and then now it's there but it's like hell and it's distorded, um, completely distorded. Distorted, yeah. And 
I think that um, from the people that we talked to, a lot of the accounts are quite the same. And maybe if anybody's watching this here, they might have heard these sort of same sort of things. But as you go from anosmia uh, and it's been affected from your nerves or whatever way it's been affected into prosmia, the transition, it gets quite strong. And I think that you're quite sensitive to the, what you're what you're perceiving. And a lot of the stuff that caused her the problems were things like garlic, coffee, and onions. So they were like the three ones that a lot of people make counts of that are the three biggest triggers. And it's got something to do with sulfur, I don't know, or nitrogen, I'm not too sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the compounds in there. Yeah, they're just really, like, yeah. And um, But it was those ones that really, really hit her. But it wasn't just that, you know, it was at the beginning, it was almost everything. She had to strip back all her food from, uh, from being able to eat everything thing to being able to only eat really just pasta and like a mild cheese um and that was that was her for the next couple of weeks and it was in that moment because she was going through a lot of she was starting to lose a lot of weight she couldn't eat anything and she was starting to readjust to their new normal and she couldn't really she was probably going through a lot of emotions and it was, that was when i started to research and try to figure out what's going on because we needed some form of hope it was like are we going to be doing this forever or is it are we going to be smelling hell forever and um and as things went on, we began to learn that maybe things would get better, but um, it was just a matter of winning and see. But I think things were going to get a little bit worse before they got better. And effectively, they did. And, uh, and they peaked around May. So that's about maybe six, seven months after. I think that was the peak of the, the worst of it. And then um, the, the, I say the calmness of it went, you know, it started to calm down. The strength of it, sorry, started to calm down. Um, the, the the hard smells, and <clears throat> like to explain somebody who goes from a nosemia to prosmia, you know, you're going out with them one day, and you know all those walks that you used to do around London. You know, you smell many different weird smells in London on the street, but some of them are not so pleasant. Some of them are pleasant, but they all add up to the journey, and. Uh, you talk about the smells when you smell them and especially when it's an unpleasant one but you go oh but that sort of that was weird because for me that just disappeared you know that interaction because I could feel it I could smell it but that person couldn't and for me to adjust to that was quite difficult um it's quite strange let's say um quite sad but you don't you don't know what that sadness is until it happens you're like well I just smelled that horrible smell but that person can't smell that, and we can't smell that together. Uh, even though it's a horrible smell, that's quite sad because it's, it's still an experience. It's, it's still it's an, an experience. experience. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's part of life. Yeah. And then there was moments when she left the gas cooker on, and this is when the survival instinct came in, and was like, "Oh, well, that's actually quite worrying." So we had to make sure that she never cleaned around the cooker because she could switch on the gas hob, and the gas hob was going off. I'd walk into the kitchen and it would stink. Of gas you know and I was one time this one time I was getting a lighter out to light something and I was like hold on a second it smells like gas so that was quite dangerous Oof. um but as it went into the prosmia and it's something maybe for your viewers to not be scared of but um in that moment she got very 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 depressed and she lost a lot of weight um, and I think it was around March time in London, the sun comes out. We live quite close to the Arsenal football stadium and we usually walk up there for just to get a capture of a bit of sun at the beginning of the year, feel the heat from it. And uh, we were having a packed lunch and it was a tuna salad and she was halfway through tuna salad. I was just talking to her like as if we were having Normally? Lunch. You were just having a normal conversation? Yeah. A normal conversation. But at that point, she just 
burst into tears. And that was that was the point when it had got too much for her. Because everything that she she wasn't really saying, she was not enjoying anything, but she just couldn't eat this tuna salad. It to her, it just tasted like what she called rancid. And she has mm -hmm. a lot of things to describe that perosmic smell. It's the perosmic smell. It can smell like rotten flesh, bleach, oil fumes, um, yeah, perosmic, just rancid and she just couldn't eat it and we had to strip her whole diet back to something quite simple for a couple of months uh, until she could start to develop some sort of tolerance to these horrible horrible yeah. um so so that was the that was the ex most of the the worst of the experience at least that was in transition of the, you know about seven eight months of that and um her smell and taste hasn't fully come back just for the record uh she's still trying to get She's it back still working through it yeah little things maybe maybe five or six things you know maybe building once every month but i believe that it, if there's a change that, that we have a bit of hope yeah, so, yeah yeah it sounds like i mean the the anosmia part when both of you lost your sense of smell you were going through it together and then when yours started coming back and hers was still gone that was a phase and then but the really, really big struggle started when her parosmia kicked in, when she mm. suddenly she was able to smell things, but everything was out of whack and, and everything was negative out of whack. It's one thing to have things be distorted and have it be pleasant, but just different, mm. but it's not, it's all unpleasant. All your senses, I think, can be described in similar ways. It would be like getting your eyesight back after being blind for three months, but everything hurts your eyes so and you don't know if that's going to get better in that moment because you just don't know you know no. and then you're two weeks three weeks of everything hurting and you're going is it going to get better or is it just going to remain like this because she, she did say at one point she'd rather go back to anosmia rather than suffer parosmia yeah um but uh yeah it's yeah. all your senses i mean if you get your, your hearing back but your hearing is horrible then you know, if it hurts, the that's ear, people then... who have that ringing in their ear constantly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Would you rather? It's it's just, that transition. It was it was it was exactly like that. I think it's the same with all your senses. Really, your senses are there to be enjoyed, and that's something <laughs> that I've really learned from this whole experience. That you can enjoy your senses if you consciously think about it, but you need to you need to not. You're subconsciously just dealing with life all day long. If you can smell, hear, taste, touch. And do all those things see and you can see and you can you can enjoy them then enjoy them as much as you can yeah hey i just wanted to jump in here and let you know about a smell training program i offer once a quarter it's a habit building program designed for those who've lost their sense of smell have a very weak sense of smell or are experiencing smell distortions the next session starts on january 9th it's an email-based program, so it can easily be integrated into your schedule and daily life. And importantly, it allows you to be located anywhere in the world to join. You'll get your daily email first thing in the morning. The program includes pre-program setup, support and guidance, an e-journal and workbook to record progress and stay motivated. 21 days of inspirational emails, an optional smell buddy to help keep you accountable, and three recorded motivational mindset coaching videos from me. The best part is when you sign up, you'll be invited to join future smell training sessions for ongoing support and motivation for free. My treat.
So if you or someone you know has lost their sense of smell, has a weak sense of smell, or even smell distortions, and you're finding it difficult to stay consistent with your smell training, I invite you to check out my habit building program by going to the link in the episode notes. As designated noses, as being there for people, for your loved one who's going through the smell dysfunction, um, I want to let people be aware of what it's like to be with someone on a day-to-day basis living with a smell dysfunction. So I thought we could talk about that for a minute. Um, I know, Mark, in your case, you're not there with her all the time with Dia, but um, for the times that you are there with her, um, what are kind of, what's it like on a day-to-day situation? Do you find that you mention smells and you don't even realize you're mentioning it? Or I don't know, you, you tell me what, what your day-to-day life is like living with somebody who has congenital anosmia. Yeah, sure. That's, that's uh, interesting. Like I said, I've had to kind of learn and process my way of thinking. And now it's like I have become more used to it. Right. I may still like reference a smell, but I try to describe it. And okay. I just wanted to say, you know, the component of Dia saying that she felt dismissed as a child. Oh, you'll grow into your sense of smell and the depression or the frustration. I'm Mark and Kiki's, their companion, their, their, their people are going through all this anguish. And I, I'm just, I, I get a sense that they, they're dismissed. They feel like this is dismissed. We have five senses. I have five fingers. I'm a carpenter. I can function with three or four fingers, but I need really all of them to have that quality of life. And you shouldn't dismiss one over the others. So I have to always check in and make sure I don't dismiss it. I -hmm. think I've geared up for that. And like I said, it's about listening. It's about having them tell their story because it's a really interesting story, even if it's a hard one and a sad one. I could see the anguish on Mark and Kiki's faces. They explained what they were going through with their loved ones. Um, I think just acknowledging is the big learning lesson here to talk about it, to share, to have these people vent their frustration if they have it or their disappointment and just be present. And it makes you more present. Um, I don't know if that answered the question. I kind of just wanted to say, you know, the dismissal, I have to learn and I have to teach people that ask me about it. Don't dismiss this. This is serious. This is a, this is a thing that it's, it's kind of the underrated sense, but it's so important. It's very important. Yeah. No, so well said. Thank you for sharing that. Um, And it, it, probably comes up if I talk about day to day. I mean, if you two are out and about with others, there's, there's the living at home, right? Where you can control things, so to speak a little bit more. Um, But then you're out in the real world and you're surrounded by people who might say something or do something or dismiss a person. I mean, does that come up? For me? For for you? Yeah. Um, When you're with Dia, do you notice that? Or do you have to like, um, stick up for her. I don't know. No, I don't stick up for her. (laughs) You don't need to. She's a raging bull. She's like I said, she's emboldened by her disability. 
she likes to talk about it. It's made her strong. Mm. It's it's but she was born with it. So there again, I feel like I'm dismissing the other um, the pernosmia or the the attained. I, I in a way almost think those might be more difficult because you have to retrain your brain. She's been doing it her whole life. She's not afraid to talk about it. She's yeah. almost proud of it. It's a superpower. It's a superpower. It is. It really is. And it's fun to watch. Like everyone is really fascinated to hear her story and she doesn't dwell. And I'm not putting you all down. She doesn't, no. I'm not saying you do this, but she doesn't dwell in the negativity of it. She's, it's just who she is, like the color of her eyes. And it's a different experience. A, it's a completely yes. different experience. Yeah. And so not, yeah. she's made that um, an experience that she shares. And I would encourage everyone to share that and don't be dismissed and try to laugh at it when you can. I mean, I may, maybe that's the wrong advice but um just we talk about it all the time and it's interesting i've right. learned a lot I'm, I'm sure i'm sure so kiki tell me what life is like every day with elmo okay uh, there's definitely not enough awareness around that um even a simple visit to a mall there's always a salesperson trying to convince us to buy perfume, ah. sell perfume. Yeah. And although Thelma might say she can't smell, people just carry on an adamant and they ignore the fact and they say, you know, we'll take it, smell it. And even one day I had a guest came to visit and I had flowers in a vase, beautiful flowers. And uh, she commented uh, that the flowers don't smell. So what's the point of me having flowers at home? So I, I said to her, no, the flowers are beautiful. They're beautiful flowers. And uh, I was guilty not to bring up the subject. That, you know, it's not just about the smell. It's also about the sight. And uh, Thema has always been a a kind of a person that she loves um, feeling everything, touching natural fabrics, lying in the grass. Uh, she needs to feel touch things she's, more. Yeah, she's yeah, she's in touch with her touch, yeah. with her sense of touch. Yes. Yes, and she loves a hug, a warm hug, and she loves to do photography to feel everything. I think it helps balance her, lo her loss of smoke, even though she's always been a creative and talented uh, spirit. I think she needs it more, a lot more. Her menus and that, she also needs more color in her life. Like when I choose uh, menus, dinner, me dinner menus, um, it has to be colorful. And I like to balance textures like soft, crispy food, just to enhance her appetite. No, I, so. I think I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask about food and eating, you know, yes, how, yes. how you help her with that is, is through texture yes, then and the color of the food. I think that's wonderful. Yes, but a lot, a lot of times when she doesn't feel well, she says, mom, I'm just into comfort food. I need um, like yeah. a bit of fast food just to make her feel comforted. Yeah. But um, on a day-to-day -day basis, I try and encourage her to have healthy eating habits. 
How about you, Mark? Do you help um, Anne with with foods, with eating, or she she pretty much tells you probably what she needs, right? I mean, she's an adult, so she can, yeah. she can figure well, it out. But yeah, she would certainly. Uh, I've had we we both cook a lot together, so okay. Um, and we've been working from home quite a lot in the last year, so you know we have lunch, breakfast, and dinner together every day most last year, and um, I think you know certainly the stuff that we buy the amount of exploring that we can do is has certainly changed it wasn't like that when 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 she was a nosemic but when she's become perosmic for about a good 12 months now uh, we're still avoiding things like garlic um mm -hmm. chives and um it's very much garlic garlic's and everything so and you don't um, realize it until you can't you have don't realize it in anything yeah you, you know yeah. it's in it's in all the restaurants and she's also french so that doesn't really help the french love their garlic <laughs> but, so th those and, and coffee um is still a big no-no um i'm trying to think of if there's anything else for anybody else to be aware of in perusmic um chives garlic and uh bleaks maybe okay but um but they're, they're they're just absolute no's and then there's a lot of no i don't like that kind of things chocolate can be some some types of chocolate and stuff like that there um are not great but um, but we, the funny, the interesting part is that um, that's flavor. So that's I think a lot of that's defined by your nose. But then your taste is like a different thing. It's more like sensations, like like you say, texture. Um, texture is like a feeling, and then um, you've got and things heat. like salty and heat, heat also. Yeah, like chilies. if you add peppers we or add spicy chilies, things, peppers, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we we enjoy those more. I always love chilies, anyways. But uh, we just <laughs> up the heat, which is good for me. Um, so this, it's a sensational thing. So texture and, and chilies and then sweet does have actually a sensation that she really craves. So she's really in, she's in touch with her sense of touch, let's say, a little yeah. bit more, you know, the sensation a lot more because she's trying to fill the gaps with what she's sure. losing at the minute. And um, it seems to be. And uh, and then you've got things like saltiness and stuff, uh, uh, sour, the stuff that's more like, taste um but stuff that that is aromic is generally not a good idea uh for her so obviously there's very um unique aromas come from things like cooking garlic uh cooked meats is another one actually for some reason mm, sometimes yeah, some meats yeah. the, oh, pretty much all cooked meats were off the charts but um they're slowly coming back fish was a great one that she could you know still continue to eat a diet that was similar to before she loves fish so white fish and salmon were generally all right for most of the part but um things like chicken are coming back it's a bit weird um and uh and red meats and stuff are slightly so is she trying back. things even though they taste bad so is that part of the the process is to keep part of the process those foods yeah. and then yeah. getting the brain think, to say no this is actually okay and this is what it is yeah yeah exactly i think maybe uh, the good thing is you've got three people with three different accounts i think my account is more about a process going um from um everything and and it is all about a process and um, she's went through a lot of smell training so that's been recommended by our doctors i think there's a lot of research online to say that that's pretty a pretty good way to at least try to um heal um your way back because i don't think that it's it's such a complicated matter connecting what you know yeah. to your brain it's probably something that you did as a child and developed but to start again yeah it's you need to know. And interestingly, and this is true, I have to say this, that the oils that she has trained to smell from the very beginning when she could not smell a thing, um, going through Prosmic uh, point as well, um, 
there's things like lemon. She can actually smell and taste lemon, which is interesting because that was one of the things that she trained. Another big one is flowers. So they have like floral oils and essential oils that you can do to train your smell. Yeah. And she yeah. could randomly smell flowers above other things. Like I'm, I'm saying there's only like maybe about somewhere between five and 10 smells that you can smell. Um, and flowers is one of them. And flowers and lemons were definitely the two ones that she was trained to smell with. And now there's some others that she can't, but one random thing that she can smell is sea. So oh, the, she can go sea. to the sea okay. and she can smell the sea, but I don't know why. Uh, it's something to do with... Um, it's something to do with notes. Uh, well, sure, it's it's the compounds in that that odor of of the yeah. sea, and and those are they're coming back to. They're coming back, way. but it's in a in a really neurological way. Like she has to connect her brain to her nose, and it's just something that's it's something. It's you complex. Never, Your sense of smell yeah. is extremely complex, which is why is very complex, we still yeah. have a lot to learn about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. For sure, for sure. So on a day-to-day basis, what are some of the, as a designated nose for anybody who's living with somebody with a smell dysfunction, I want to go around and ask you all, what are some of the day-to-day roles and responsibilities you take on as, as being a designated nose, right? So what, so that others who are also going through that, what are the things that they can also do? I'd love to hear some tips and, and tricks for what you do to, to support your, um, your anosmic or parosmic. Let's start with Marky. Well, as I said, Dia already had a system. She's, you know, she's had the uh, kitchen almost catching on fire, but she had a good alarm cat. That's way before I knew her. Okay. She got rid of all of her gas appliances. It's all electric. Okay. Yeah. She could blow herself up or she could just asphyxiate because she cannot smell that odor of gas. And so what I do Uh, since I'm a bit of a handyman, you know, if there's a, if I see an issue with say an electrical outlet, I'll just have to get that fixed. She can't smell it. If it's arcing, I can, you know, I'm just using that as an example. She already had a lot of this stuff built in. Okay. I just had to learn from her. So like, for instance, if we're driving and we both have kind of older cars, but it's like, oh, the car's overheating. I can smell. How do you know? I don't see it on my dial. I can smell it. Or, you know, as Kiki was talking, since I live in Florida, where I'm sorry, Colorado. I don't know why I said Florida. We'll be up in the mountains and, you know, I can smell when the brakes are burning up. Or usually it's the truck, but it's like, okay, we got to pull over. The brakes are getting hot. She can't do that. Right. That, that, you know, that's not something that happens all the time. That might be the thing is... It's the littlest things we take for granted uh, that I can't take for granted. So she's pretty accustomed and we, we live together part-time. So she's raised a daughter. Her daughter used to be her designated sniffer. She had these things in place before I met her. So she just coaches me and okay. um, I'm like the mentor. How about you, Kiki? What, what do you do? What are some of your roles and responsibilities? It's wonderful listening to Marky because uh, it's uh, strange how, how we learn from someone that's a non-smeller. But um, basically, I take the role of explaining hygiene in general, mm. uh, like taking out the trash every day, 
Also, when Fema cooks dinner and they are leftovers, I explain to her she needs to refrigerate them because we live in Cyprus where um, perhaps nine months, we have a lot of high heat, a very hot island, and uh, products fall very easily. So basically, um, I, I explained to her that she needs to check on food labels, products, and that. And uh, as far as danger is concerned, it was the initial reason she was diagnosed with anosmia. Yeah. So Sam was very aware and wise about uh, her danger. She was also away abroad for study and she came back home. She went through a lot of the journey was on her own. So mm -hmm. I'm very proud to be her mother. A lot of anxiety on my part, but. That's true. How about you, Mark? What are your kind of your day-to-day -day responsibilities? I mean, do you both cook or you take over the cooking? You know, what other things do you do to support? We yeah. both cook. One thing I definitely do not do is it's probably more don'ts than do's uh, with okay. us. But uh, but uh, I don't. We don't typically cook or order in any Indian or Chinese cuisine anymore because we just can't. It's usually a lot of um, sauces and and mixed aromas and stuff. With garlic. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's usually always garlic, onions, and also basically yeah. anything in the Alien family, which it all includes. Um, <clears throat> and when we go out to the restaurant. It's like a lot of the time waiters and waitresses when they come to her, she's also a celiac, so she's, you know, allergic to gluten. Um, and then she has this kind of odd perosmic thing, which means she can't eat certain things. And she has to be quite particular with the waiters and waitresses, but you need to support her or support her in, in, in that context because she might feel embarrassed when she's around other people thinking they think that she's very, very picky. You have to be kind of like quite communicative to them that this is not about being picky. This is actually a, a bit of a uh, a bit of a problem that she just you know she'll throw up otherwise. So it's definitely not not something that you want to be doing. And 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 that she would actually love to be able to eat all these different things if she could. You know, so it's just about supporting her. And 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 with that, there are a lot of exercise and a lot of maybe not patience is the probably a negative word, but a lot of empathy. You know, yeah. just the opposite side. You know, just the, just the, uh, that and hope. Um, hope because sometimes a time, time. It's just these things take a lot of time. I didn't realize, but um, it could be years. You know, and that can be that can sound very daunting. But um, I think one thing that she has learned is that if things at least move, uh, you know, it's. it's start hope really you yeah. almost have to and tell me if i if i'm wrong here but i, I work with smell trainers I, I help people with smell training and one of the things i tell them is you just gotta you have to take it day by day and look for the little nuances of of goodness right yeah. in, in the every day and, and we used to we always look for the big things the big um advancements to make and and really it's it's the little things every day that push you towards the bigger thing right the the bigger goal of, of being able to smell normally again yeah yeah it's a slow it's it's, it's a slow slog yes. Yeah, yes yeah yeah no i hear you i hear you do you ever find that your partner or your child doesn't want to engage in a situation because they know it'll be uncomfortable or frustrating 
And if so, how do you help them overcome it? I'll start with Mark. Marky. I, I wanted to address the last question because uh, oh. Kiki brought up uh, hygiene. And so that was something that I failed to mention and take out the trash when I walk in. Oh, it stinks. And so, and then I meant to say, I'm the student, Dia is the mentor. So Dia, she's, I don't know if I would say she's proud, but she's not shy of her inability to smell. And I think that that's important for, especially people who've lost their smell or they have the parosmia. They need to hear that message and feel that about themselves. I. Uh, you know, we, we have lots of interesting conversations at a party. Well, we don't go to parties so much, but we, you know, COVID has made us aware, you know, we are, we had COVID, which is awful, awful, but we've learned so much about this kind of hidden disability or lack mm. of, of smell. Dia just talks about it. There's no real shyness other than, like I said before, if she's doing one of her stand-up comedies or, you know, she's going to an important meeting, she wants me to let her know if she smells okay, but it doesn't overwhelm her. She's not uh, embarrassed about it because that's, she's like, well, so I smell, I got to go, you know, that's not, that doesn't work for everybody, but that's one of her technique. That's just who she is. That's your situation. So let's hear, um, right, Kiki. so right. how do you, how do you help? I mean, there are there times when Thelma doesn't want to go out or, you know, or, or she doesn't want to engage with others because she just doesn't want to have to face the, the questions or the situation. I mean, how do you help her with that? Okay. In the beginning, it was very challenging. Uh, she called me, mom, are you home? Uh, I'm coming home. And uh, all I could basically do was hug her, reassure her. And uh, just to be there, to feel comforted. But um, no, uh, right now, uh, Thelma has always been a caring and sensitive person, but she has a very bold demeanor, a strong opinion and voice. I think that was just a very difficult part in her life, which is now she's managed to um, voice her feelings and that. So she seemed more comfortable. Uh, recently, I'm very proud of her. She, she's, I'm happy to see her going out. Whereas oh, good. Before she was, yeah, she's more um, social. More social now, yeah, yeah. Yes, and she's not so much at home anymore. Okay, she's busy with a lot of things, but she likes to go out, which is a pleasure for me. Yeah. To see her having a bottle of wine and getting Wonderful. dressed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. things are improving. She's learning how to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. And about, she feels, I think, uh, very comforted um, with her chats with you. She absolutely adores you. <laughs> and in the beginning, when I saw that she had lost her sense of smell, my immediate reaction, I went to Herbalist. And I got her some peppermint essential oil. But, uh, and I told the Thelma, you need to sniff this throughout the day. Uh, perhaps your smell will come back. But right then, she wasn't ready for it. No. She had, uh, it was a roller coaster of different events. Uh, I think that's really her. important to mention that it's, 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 it's a process, isn't it? It's not any yeah. advice that we're, you're giving here is not 
you have to kind of look at where your where your anosmic or prosmic is at this moment, um, it, it, mentally, let alone physically, right? But are they ready to take in this information? How much do you need to help them at the beginning versus as they feel more confident and they're ready to 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 go out more, like you said? So it's so wonderful to hear that Thelma's going out more now. And um, yeah. that's, that's beautiful. So it's, it's just taking time, but it's, it's happening now. So that's great news. Yeah, it's a journey. Exactly. It's a journey. Wonderful. How about um, for you, Mark? I think that that topic is really, really significant um, for anybody who may be going from anosmic and perosmic um, transition um, in similar the way that maybe Anne Louise I've described Anna Louise's is just that that moment when she was going into Perosmia, she did not want to go anywhere. Um, and uh, I, it made her realize that a lot of the places that she would go um, include smells. Um, but, you know, you don't realize that until it happens. If exactly. the smells are quite horrific and the tastes are quite horrific, um, it cuts off a lot of social um, interactions. Um, but it's even little things like... Um, like walking in the streets may be bearable because smells come and go, but um, there might be times when smells are constant and that's when it's a bit sickening, you know, I think for her and she's felt like generally very uncomfortable. So restaurants were generally a bad vibe and um, any social event where even if people, if it was quite sweaty or something or it was quite like warm or humid, it would, it would not really be that great. I mean, it, it did get to a point and I think people shouldn't be scared because I don't know how this could possibly last forever, but the pros make, like when she was having a shower and the smell of the water was smelled like pure bleach and she couldn't brush her teeth because the mint was like another smell of like rancid butter and it's like everything um, everything <laughs> it was like everything but it was all weird and distorted so um, and if you if your water can smell like bleach and tap water to me doesn't smell like anything um you know coming out of the you know the shower head but to her if that smells like bleach you can imagine how sensitive she was maybe to just just little things and my house at home, you know, where my parents are, you know, when she, my, my mom cooks like anything, it stinks out the kitchen because the ventilation is terrible in the kitchen. And then the smell creeps up all around the house. And my, my Louise is completely aware of that. You know, she comes from a completely different hygienic background than I do. And we are still fighting about it to this day. But <laughs> she was a bit scared of going to my parents' house for a while because she knows that although the smells are very subtle, they're constant. And, um, you know, and I don't know, I think she's just a bit um, bit worried about stuff like that there. And that was for maybe a good couple of months, maybe four or five months where she was kind of hitting her peak. And, and then um, those kind of horrifying things started to go away. And she, she can certainly begin to socialize and live, at least from her front, when you look at her, she lives a very normal life, but I still think inside she's still battling the difference between hope and acceptance because she's whether she's figuring out whether she should accept the fact that she can't smell or taste this food for the rest of her life the way she used to or hope that she might and I think she's kind of reducing the hope and accept increasing the acceptance um uh, as time goes on or sometimes she increases the hope but just little things come along she goes oh hope and then acceptance lower and uh it depends on the day, it, really, and her experience. Probably. It depends on the day, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it's, I would say that the hope is increasing, the acceptance is decreasing, but sometimes it just swings one way or the other, and she has bad days. She's very, I think, through that whole acceptance and 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 hope kind of struggle and 
balancing the two of them, she's really begun to appreciate what she, what she was, you know, when she goes down the acceptance route and it's encouraged her to be very artistic. Um, she's now created all these different Instagram things, she's been on the news and she's created lots of different art pieces. And, um, you know, that that never really happened before. She's certainly been a lot more in touch with her creative side. Oh. I don't know why. Just something that's, It's an outlet. I, I would imagine it's an outlet for know, like, Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a creative outlet. Thank you. So I wanted to get into how we smellers can really like some, some practical ways that people who are listening to this, how can they help people who are living with congenital anosmia, with acquired anosmia and with parosmia? We touched on a bunch of things already, but I wanted to ask if there's anything you feel that you haven't touched on that you might want to mention. Like um, if, if you're living with somebody who's never known smells like Marky at, is living with, is there anything else that you haven't touched on that you might want to still mention that are, are good practical tips and tricks for um, being a designated nose for congenital anosmic? Use your other sense. I, I think I said this earlier, you have ears, listen. That would be my main advice. Just listen and be try to be patient. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not pressured. I, I don't have the same challenges as Thelma and, and Louise, um, but you just you have to listen. Yeah, I think, I think that's thing. huge. Just listening um, and supporting. Yeah, but mostly listening. People are, it's amazing how people don't bother to listen a lot of times. So. Well, and, uh, <laughs> seems for simple, people, but. <laughs> yeah, it, well, I'm learning that I need to be a better listener just in life. Um, and I, I hope that both of these women are writing this and documenting this in creativity is important. It's important to share your story. So I'm hoping that they, like Dia has made it her story. I hope Thelma and Anne Louise share their story. And there are people who want to listen and hear the story. That's what I believe. That's really great. I love that. Kiki, is there anything you want to add as far as, um, how well, can support? Well, on my side, support with Emma is just basically um, giving her a hug and um, making her feel comfortable communicating with me and asking for my help. Mom, uh, do I look good? Do I smell fine? How, I'm, how do I look? And... Uh, Sometimes if we're out together, just a comforting look or a simple hug in, um, makes her feel safe. So that's, that's about it. But uh, of course, Sema also needs professional help to assist her mental well-being. Yeah, let's talk about that. Mental well-being too. Yeah, that's really important. So she's, she actually goes and sees somebody, which I think is great. I think a lot of people don't think to do that or they think, oh, it's not necessary, but it, it, you found that it's been very helpful for Thelma? Yes, very helpful. Yeah, yeah. because uh, they can see things from a different perspective to what I can. I'm yes. her mother. I can be her designated smeller, but I can't be there to to help her in different ways yeah yeah i think that's really that's really an important an point. extra ear definitely. yeah 
Would you agree, Mark, that the, the mental aspect is, I mean, that, that's one of the most challenging things, right? It's, it's one thing to help with eating yeah. and all of it. Yeah, the mental part, so. I think the mental, the mental challenge is different for everybody here, you know. Um, um, it's probably a little bit different for somebody who's had it from the very beginning to somebody who's just lost it in the middle. Um, it would just come in a sort of maybe a slightly different way. Um, yeah. um, but I think when I speak about it, um, the mental health of somebody maybe out of, in this case, 32 years to, to losing it and not knowing whether they're going to get it back. I think, um, I think for me, um, the most the, the the thing that you definitely don't do is do not underrate the loss because i feel like um i feel like it's doesn't come naturally to to appreciate taste and smell so if you if you forget at some point ah oh, it's only your taste and smell it doesn't really matter if you think like that for a second just you know That's get it out of your head you can do, right? the Be worst thing you can do about because it. yeah there's like Anna Louise is so sensitive about the fact that she's lost it because she feels like she's lost a part of herself, which is completely understandable. It's one of her five senses, you know, and they're all important. And um, so I think that the most important thing is to therefore remain as sympathetic as possible and just to provide as much kind of like, you know, you, you understand. And if as a as a partner to like I I think um I got I got COVID again recently and I lost, but I lost it just from a physical block and nose smell. And if that ever happens to you as a partner, just hold on to that feeling and don't let go of it this time. Because every time you have a cold and you lose your sense of smell and then you go and then it, and then you come back, you know you forget that yeah. that you lost it. But just hold on to that 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 thought just that time. You know, even if and, you have a cold, I think that's a really good point. Aside yeah, from COVID, even yeah. if you have a cold and you lose it temporarily. Yeah. hold on to that thought so never good. forget it because that helps you connect to her and and uh, and helps me and, connect her and provide the the kind of the right words or the right support when 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 needed and um, she personally hasn't went to any like professional mental health as far as i understand but she has seen like a kind of a lot of physics she went through long covid so she had a lot of neurological problems as well and they provide a lot of physical and mental support in different ways not for mm -hmm. just that so um uh that was certainly very helpful but that was trying to get her back on track on her physical well-being more than her kind of loss of sense of smell so yeah um so i would say that helped yes um okay. but most of it is is just time to sort of that like a little bit of an acceptance you know but not to be so fearful as well um that if you go through the worst of it it's it, it, it can't it won't last forever you know yeah yeah I'm talking about pros, man. In this particular case, is yeah, just a powerful. Oof, yeah, prosmia is one of the it's most challenging, I think. Yeah, the, most the definitely. Um, thank you for that, Marky. I don't know if you want to add anything. You're good. I didn't. Well, you I'm, might I'm want listening. to say something. <laughs> yeah, I'm listening, and I just feel heartbroken because these. So, uh, Thelma and Anne Louise have lost some of their identity and that's traumatic and yeah. we don't know what that's going to look like as they heal and i i don't i'm sitting here in my head asking are they going to be able to smell are they going to be able to smell normally and i feel absolutely sad for them but i don't want to linger in the sad i want to linger like like mark said we we don't want to upplay the 
acceptance and downplay the hope, but it's really, I don't have to deal with that, that loss of identity. Dia's identity has always been, well, I can't smell. And when I've asked her, well, if you could smell, would you take that back? She's like, nah. But then when I'm listening to Mark and Kiki, I'm just like rooting that their loved ones get their smell back because it is their identity. It is part of who they are, how they've developed, how they've grown, what their future is all about. So I'm like rooting and I hope they get there. I don't know what it looks like because I don't know so much about, yeah, I'm learning myself. So I, I hear you both. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm learning too. <laughs> we all, yeah, it, it's, I think even the scientific community is learning still. So yeah. there's still a lot to be learned. I'm hoping if anything COVID has brought us is that it accelerates the learning. Yes, yes, I hope so too. And that might give some glimmer of hope for, you know, more congenital cases as well. Who knows? It's hard to tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We hope, we hope. Let me ask you this. So um, Marky mentioned that I do this a lot, but I like to describe smells to people and I'm trying to find new and different ways to help people describe smells. Do you help your um, partners or child by by describing smells to them? You know, in parasmia it might be different, but let's start with congenital anosmia. Does Dia like it when you describe things for her? Well, like I said earlier, she doesn't have like a baseline to go off of. So my mom who's blind, she could see, I can reference something from her past. I have to be somewhat metaphoric when I speak to her about smell and I'll try to describe it, but I get frustrated because I can't find the words. How do you teach somebody about, you know, whether it's seeing or smelling, if they've, if they've never experienced what lavender smells like, why do you yeah. explain? Well, well, it smells kind of like pepper. It's like, well, I don't know what peppers, you know, so it's kind of a vicious cycle. It's so interesting guess, that you say that because people tend to want to describe smells with other smells. Right. So what do you do? So you, you, you try to use uh, texture to, and, yes. you know, and, and, and different things that I still, I guess would have to learn. But um, the other thing is, okay, well then I'll explain it through taste. Well, Dia's taste is diminished. So I can really only explain certain smells and I get frustrated because I want to share, God, I wish you could smell the pine trees when we go camping or as Kiki referenced, I love the smell of fresh rain. And I'll tell Dia, I'm sorry, you can't smell this. And she's like, well, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's for me, I have no reference unless I can come up with metaphor. And so yeah. that's, that's what I do. Okay. Okay. How about you, Kiki? Do you describe smells for Thelma? Does she want that? Uh, yes, I do uh, describe smells, but uh, like um, it's basically on her memory because it's been many years and could be six, seven years that she has lost her sense of smell. But um, I try to explain to the shampoo if it's either fruity or more herbal and uh, the taste. She at times, uh, she tries to think of different memories that come through her mind. 
but she has difficulty remembering things. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes she looks at me and she thinks, oh, I'm trying to look for uh, it's more special. Uh, wow. Different kinds of describing different things, but it's very challenging. And it's, it's hard. We're not used to describing things. We just feel no. them. We just experience them. And, uh, yes, but um, we need each other to help us cope with uh, explaining to us, yes, it's good, it's pleasant or unpleasant. And uh, what I find amazing is that um, when I put a perfume on my body, I love perfume in it. Uh, I can't mix anything because it's, uh, on me, it smells horrific. Whereas Samma, she's uh, very interesting and versatile. She sprays all different kinds of perfumes on her. And when I smell her, I tell her, wow, it smells wonderful, amazing. I don't know if it's about chemistry, what it's about, because if I combine them on my body, the smell is uh, terrible. Hmm. It's horrific. Interesting. So I don't know if it's something to do with chemistry science it is. of the body. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It, everybody's skin interaction with, with sense is different. Yes. Yeah. How about Mark? Do you have anything you want to add? Do you ever describe things to Anne-Louise? Um, I think that she's she's got memories of them. So um, I think that she probably doesn't need to or want to be described to smell that she kind of like it's her her uh, I think she cherishes them actually a lot more now um than she, um now that she's consciously thinking about it but though I think one thing about perosmic was um I think that it was acceptable to ask her is that perosmic when you could when we eat when we eat together just so that you know, that the me as a partner know what to avoid in terms of foods as we went on those foods have obviously increased over time at the beginning it was we had to really narrow them down um so that was a uh, a very acceptable response in that context but sometimes i don't think she liked it when i would ask it in the context of others because it would be it would just maybe a little bit aggravator and kind of draw a little bit of attention towards her condition that she has and and, and she didn't really feel comfortable like that in social situations so that was the only real thing that um in terms of asking questions around the subject you know is there anything you can think of that we have not covered that you'd like the listeners to understand to know to do whatever any last message you want to provide to the listening audience i'll start with marky so i think to listen which I've repeated, so sorry for the broken record effect. But no, that each, just each, emphasizes it, right? Each Listen. story, <laughs> each story, each experience, each human experience is different. And we just have to be present to that person, I think, to their identity and their uh, adaptation and their going forward. It's, it's part of their identity. It's changed. And we have to accept in, in, I don't want to say celebrate because it's, it's tough, but try to work with it and make the good that you can find in it and learn to adapt until hopefully you find this solution back to smelling normally. Yeah. Thank you. 
How about you, Kiki? Do you have any last thoughts that you want to share? Yeah, well, and I totally agree with uh, what Marky said, but um, it's been a difficult um, situation, but uh, mainly kindness, courtesy, and daily human con communication are really taught um, by teachers and essential for coping in our lives. And uh, even this past weekend, uh, we were away for Easter and um, we were walking in the street with my husband and we were crossing the street and this young girl, she suddenly tripped and she fell. And uh, it was a natural instinct to help her get her. She was very grateful because she was wearing high shoes and she never saw the, the hole. And uh, we should never feel alone and we should trust and express our needs for help without shame. Um, I think it's very essential that we are a community, we all human beings and we all have different challenges. Okay, definitely some are, are a lot more difficult, but at the end of the day, we all need each other and to be there and understand each other. Kindness and caring is basically what we need to learn and should be taught besides the academic um, side of school, we should be taught. Yeah. Um, That's empathy. beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. How about you, Mark? Any last thoughts? Um, yeah, I'd just like to add that if anybody like a partner of somebody who's prosmic is going through this sudden change from um from or has gone through and doesn't really quite know how to deal with it um one thing that i learned through the whole process and again i'm going to talk about the process because i know it's make the prosmic is that um it is probably she will or he will your partner will get scared um and be quite worried and they will they they will be compounded with this horrible feeling and not knowing what, how long it's going to last and although you can go online and 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 you can you can research it um and you can find out a little bit about what's happening i know that we we came across absent they just talk about this they reached their independent research group and they seem to be pretty you know um that that, that gave us a little bit of an understanding but we still didn't really um couldn't really comprehend what was going on to make us feel relaxed i think what we needed to do is we need to speak to people and the problem is with this particular condition is that even your doctors don't really know many people that have this particular condition and it's going to be very difficult now one thing i came across that was a bit of a hidden gem and i never thought i would say this i know we live <clears throat> we live in a digital age third third industrial revolution where information is absolutely everywhere and we have to be a little bit comfortable what we read where we take it from and facebook is obviously not a great source of information for many subjects but um one thing I learned about Facebook in this regard was that it's full of people and there are Facebook groups 
that yeah. um, we came across, which are just full of people, and that's it. It's not misinformation. It's just people saying, "I have a, I, I can't smell. I, I don't like this taste. I don't, I don't like this food, and I, and I, I don't know what's happening." They're scared, and then you have a lot of people who say, "It, it got worse, and then it got better." And you, it's real accounts of people, and there are thousands and thousands and thousands of them for anosmia, for osmia, just people, just people. And that was one of the biggest benefits of the digital age that we're in today is that we can get people from villages, from towns, from countrysides all around the world put them in the one space and they just give accounts of what they are going through yeah. and that they're just reading people's accounts you know they're not robots they're people just talking about you'll start to identify a lot with what they're saying and that's what you need as somebody who's going through that process it's just people and luckily you have a community like this just community, community. Yeah. but focus on the community aspect maybe not the whole you know science this science that i'm not a scientist so i'm i, I can take a little bit of sometimes I don't really know what's happening but maybe just the people aspect of the community aspect is certainly really helpful because it allows you to identify yourself what you're going through and what they're going through and you'll start to see a lot of trends and what they say over and over and over again very repetitive and it helped us identify what foods that we were more than likely not going to like I mean it was everything in the allium family is what we've concluded it's just really not good for me, and that's onions, coffee, uh, onions, garlic, and and chives, and then coffee randomly is just terrible. But it, we wouldn't have known that, and we wouldn't have known what food to stay away from if it wasn't for people just talking about it. And doctors don't really know that. And then another thing, just to add to it, is we did come across smell training. And many accounts of people saying it was true, and although it's very hard to have faith in it, especially because it almost seems supernatural that how can smell training make your smells either come back or get better? But um, as much as I didn't really believe in it, we still stuck with it. And funny enough, the results are, like I said, Anna-Louise can smell lemon and she can taste lemon and she can smell flowers. And those are the two main ones out of the, the I can't remember the other ones, if I could remember them. Well, it's clove and eucalyptus typically. But oh, I don't cloves. Know yes, yeah. so she, can, she can also with cloves. And uh, eucalyptus, I don't know, probably because you don't really come across eucalyptus in a normal day very often. But um, yeah, so um, the, there must be some sort of relationship. And whatever it's doing in your brain, it's, I think it's way too complex for any doctor or anybody to understand. It's connecting something, nerve endings to brain signals. I don't even, I'm not even going to try to attempt to find somebody who can explain that. It just does something and it works. And I would, I would recommend it maybe as a, as a thing, um, just to at least give you something to focus on too, you know. And, I, and I, if you're a partner of them, do it with them because it's actually quite fun. Yeah, do you do it with her? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, I love it because we can always improve our games. sense of smell. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can close your eyes and you can smell them and you're like, yeah, that's rose and then that's lemon. I've never thought about this. You know, smelling with your eyes closed is a bit of, a bit of a, you know, it's just something you might have never done. You might I love it. Quite fascinating. That's well it. done. Well done. I love that. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody. I think I could talk to you for hours longer. And I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your story of you living as a designated nose and supporting someone living with a smell dysfunction. I think it's going to help a lot of people and I'm really grateful you could be here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very this. much for having us. Thank you so much. It's been very interesting. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.
Thank you for joining me on An Aromatic Life. If you're interested in learning more about your sense of smell from all different perspectives, subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends too. And it would be really helpful if you could rate the podcast so it helps others find it too. I also invite you to check out my website, falkaromatherapy.com, where you'll find information about workshops, courses, and other programs I offer. And make sure you grab my free audio training, How to Smell to Be Well, which you can download from my website. Until next time, remember to smell everything and have a wonderful day.